the we launched the brand April second, two thousand nineteen, um, and we started off with a single single product with two different SKUs. This one actually wasn't one of the first ones, but um, the original product was a laundry detergent in a strip form, and we were we were really like the first company to to bring this aggressively to the market. There's been a bunch of people that have <clears throat> kind of uh, copied or followed in our footsteps since, but we're the only product that uh, is manufactured in North America and um, is patented. But uh, yes, we, we launched in April of uh, 2019 and the business grew incredibly quickly. Like We, we were anticipating that it was going to be like a side of the desk little business. Um, and instead, it wound up growing to uh, an eight-figure run rate, like doing more than a million dollars a month within uh, less than a year. So it, it grew, like the trajectory of growth was absolutely insane. And here we are four years and a few months later, and we've, uh, <clears throat> we did a round of, uh, of funding last year to, to help us, help us grow some more. And, um, yeah, we're, we're continuing to grow. Obviously not at the same pace as 2019 pre, pre iOS 14.5 days, but we're still, we're still moving. And it's been, uh, an awesome journey to, to, um, build a brand that is something that I can be proud of because its mission is to eliminate, you know, single use plastic waste. And we've, I think today we've eliminated, Approximately 107 million plastic containers from entering landfills and oceans. Did you say zero, zero to um, eight figures in 12 months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. I think we did um, over a million dollars in D2C within like nine months. Like, like just in like a single month, not including Amazon or wholesale or anything like that. It was, it was an insane trajectory. That's crazy, man. How did you, how did you scale it up so quickly? Or is it just that you were able to reduce quite a lot of it? And you were fortunate in the, the supply you chose. Yeah, I mean the the, the manufacturer that, that was the only product they were putting together, so um, pr- there wasn't too big of an issue with production. Um, you know, obviously, 2019 is a little bit different than than today in terms of how well the acquisition models work in comparison to you know things are a little bit different now. So we were able to like pretty rapidly scale the product, um, just like bootstrap, so literally self funded, and uh, um, you know, obviously there was. When you sell fund, there's a lot of like stick handling cash to make sure that you're 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 healthy. But um, it was primarily on the backs of you know Facebook, Google, um, some some influencer stuff. But pretty 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 simple. I wish I could tell you that it was like some complicated secret sauce, but it's the basics, you know. Did you go? I, I'm surprised you went D2C first. I, I'm surprised your plan wasn't retail wholesale straight out of the gate. Is that right? You, you just thought go D2C. What was the feedback loop there when you did that? Yeah. So I mean, honestly, like I I might. Between myself and my partners, we just didn't have a lot of experience in wholesale, like me personally, like retail. Sorry, I, I had literally zero. My my background was primarily D 2 C, so like subscription products, um, print magazines with subscriptions, uh, subscription boxes, and it just made sense to to go with what we knew. I, you know, I had never even put a product on Amazon before for this brand, and um, it's funny because the, the 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 first time that we put something up there, it was probably three months after we launched. And I went on vacation with my family and I just threw it up there. And I'm like, oh, I should probably like take a look and see how it's doing. And I looked at my phone, I'm like, holy crap, we did like $500 today. I didn't even do anything. Like, where did this come from? And I was like, oh my God, this is like an opportunity that I like just was completely unaware that I knew, obviously knew about Amazon. I just never traversed that path. Amazon or Facebook, which one would you have to, which one would you cut from your business? You had to cut one, Facebook ads or Amazon. You know, I mean, I'm still, I'm still D2C first guy. I think that there's like a lot of, Amazon's obviously a mammoth beast. Um, I think that I think that D to C is actually more difficult in a sense, or so I hear. But that's that's again like it's just 
it's my, it's like if you had to go into like a hardware store and pick one tool because you know how to use it the best, that like D 2 C would be, and I guess obviously Facebook um, would be the hammer that I would choose. And what's the company split nowadays in terms of channels? What percentage is allocated D 2 C wholesale Amazon? Yeah, we're still primarily D 2 C. Um, I would say that God, Amazon's probably like twenty. I'm trying to think, wholesales. Probably around twenty, and then the rest is the rest is D to C. I get, those are rough numbers. I don't know the I, I don't have the exact split in front of me, but those like Amazon and retail are both growing uh, pretty 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 aggressively. And are you still focusing most of your attention on D to C, or is that shifting just at the moment to maybe some other channels? No, like I think that like if you set I think if you set up your ecosystem properly, um, that that pushing one winds up like like you know rising tides raise all ships or whatever right like i find that whether it's like uh, facebook ads or tv or google there's a halo effect that happens and amazon just grow like amazon will grow just as a result of there's like 20 or 30% of people that will only buy from amazon so they see your ads they go and google it they find it they wind up buying there and same thing with retail like <clears throat> especially with our product that's um those that are, can can see like it's it's a strip people don't people don't like go to the the, the uh the grocery store and go down the laundry detergent aisle and then like peruse and go like, Hmm, I wonder what's new in laundry this week. You know, like it's, it's, you go down, you grab the thing that you use on a regular basis and then you buy it and you get the hell out of the, the smelly laundry detergent aisle. So the building creative that goes beyond just D to C is really what's I think been valuable for us. And furthermore, to kind of like dig a little deeper on that, I don't think that retail is the ultimate solution for every single brand. Um, and it, with a category like ours, we had to do a lot of education in order to um, to drive people to stores or to give them enough awareness to look for it. Um, but with that said, your, the, de- the decision to go into retail is largely based on what percentage of your vertical is purchased through that 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 mechanism, right? Like eighty percent of laundry is bought at retail. So to not be in retail, you're missing out on a massive segment of your potential uh, audience. How much of a challenge was it? I mean, I feel like uh, we've been conditioned, certainly since I can remember, to buy detergent as a liquid or as a tab. I don't know when the tab was brought into invention, but it makes some sense. How much of a challenge was it for you to overcome that in that your offering was essentially a strip? Psychologically, to me, just being completely honest, it, it instantly puts a barrier up. So I'm like, how is, how is that going to clean? My, how, how, my how is this going to clean clothes, right? right. And... Again, I don't know who can visually see this, but this is a strip of laundry detergent. If you can, if you're watching the video, it looks a little bit like if you pulled off some of your grandma's wallpaper and uh, yeah. put it into a sort of half an iPhone shape square. Yeah, it's about two, two to three grams. Like I want to say, like two inches by about four and a half inches per strip. And like when we were originally um, approached to to work with this product. The first thing that I thought is exactly what you thought. I'm like, how is that going to wash my clothes? And I think like that's one of the reasons why having a solid guarantee is super valuable because there that is like I know as like a guy that probably excuse me like you know I'm probably not the the biggest laundry detergent researcher prior to buying a laundry product up until this product, and I would have just made that assumption. But after doing the research, you, you, you when you look into it. There's only so much the active ingredient, which is a surfactant, that um, you can actually put in your laundry before it just gets rinsed down the drain. Like it doesn't, it no longer has any impact. So these are basically these these have been pre-dosed to um, 
basically provide the right amount of surfactant per load. And again, the first thing that I thought is exactly what you thought. And we brought them, they sent the, the patent holder sent us a bunch of samples in the beginning and we tried it. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that this actually works. And again, that's totally one of the, the biggest, um, the biggest challenges that we have is like to demonstrate to people that this actually can clean your clothes. I mean, presumably, you know, it's not a particularly considered purchase, especially not when you have the real estate of D2C to really hammer home uh, the uniqueness. And it's almost, if you haven't tried it, something fun to try. Will this work? Won't it work? You're not going to risk your house on it. But in retail setting, it's a bit different, isn't it? Because you've got very little real estate to be able to communicate what it is and how it's going to work. People conditioned just to buy what they always buy. So how have you navigated that? Is it with landing pages and social proof and all those things? And then, and you see that spill over to retail or you start to see people open up a bit and try new things in the aid yeah, of so, is your biggest USP plastic reduction, would you say? Yeah, it's, it's plastic reduction. It's, uh, you know, space saving. It's like, you know, you know, lots of people spill their detergent when they're, when they're, when they're, uh, cleaning it. Like little kids like to eat pods because they look like candy. But <clears throat> I think one of the tough parts with retail, again, it's like when you walk down the laundry detergent aisle, it's like a wall of these huge jugs. So just by virtue of the size that they are, they like command all of this real estate, which is also marketing opportunity for you know the companies that have that space. And so it's kind of a blessing and a curse because we can go to retail locations and say like, listen, our product, you can fit like 80 containers, right? Sorry, 80 packages or more in the same spot that you can hold like four containers of your traditional detergent. So your price per lineal foot is actually crazy higher. So you don't actually need to move as many to justify having this in your retail retail location. So like that's been a path to getting it into into stores. But you know, really at the end of the day, the big thing is really just educating people that this is an, an oper- that this is something that they can buy. And just recently, I think Nielsen, they, they do a lot of the, like the data on different markets and whatnot. Um we because because of what we've built, um we are the first new laundry product to be put into these uh, the laundry detergent reports since since pods made their way into the market, or or so I've heard internally in announcements at the company. I haven't I haven't validated that. I never paid for the Nielsen data, but I've heard I've heard that that's uh, uh, going around the the company right now. So now you're you're the king laundry man. What things have you learned about doing laundry that that surprised you or interested you? Just I'm imagining you spent a lot of time there. Yeah, so um, I've been on TV a few times, and they've called me a laundry expert. My wife didn't agree, so I learned that my wife doesn't agree that I'm a laundry expert. Uh, I um, what, what else have I learned? I've learned a lot about like the underlying mechanism, the underlying mechanisms, how laundry works, um, and it's uh, you know it's it's pretty exciting. Like, <laughs> but uh, no, it, you know it, it, we've we've produced a couple other products uh, off the back of this. Like, we just recently came out with a fabric softener, and a fabric softener introduces a lot of technical challenges because um, I'm not going to nerd out too hard on it, but like essentially um, a surfactant tries to push all the dirt away from the clothes and a fabric softener. So like you typically put your fabric softener in the fabric softener area in your washing machine and it would go in after the wash cycle to, to, to soften it. So we actually made one, which is crazy that actually uses the surfactant to, uh, again, I'm not a scientist here, but it, it actually reacts with the chemical in laundry detergent. So you can put it in together and you don't have to like do some sort of song and dance to get it in afterwards. And it actually, it actually behaves positively with the surfactant instead of negatively, which was, I don't know if there's a lot of other technologies out there that can soften clothes in the same mechanism, but, um, you know, we had a, we had a, had to fly all the way across Canada, which is enormous, 
uh, and spend a week at the with the scientists and like going through like what are the important things for us and what aren't and then like doing all these blind tests and I, I got COVID and which actually was remarkably not so bad. Um, but uh, you know that's what I went through COVID. I went through COVID getting COVID to release these products. But uh, I don't know. Like I, I think the answer to your question is not really that fun. I'd like laundry's. Laundry is the second most hated chore in North America. There's not a whole lot I can say to, to really spice it up. Rewind really is table stakes for any e-commerce store. It backs your store up consistently and it offers you an undo button just in case something was to go wrong on your store, which let's be honest, can happen. And it also provides you a staging environment so that you can have a carbon copy of your live environment to do all your good testing on, your QA, try new ideas, and not have to worry about breaking something on the live environment. Check code conflicts, app conflicts, everything in between. It's a must-have. Go and install it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's always these myths. So I don't know, but there's, there's the ones that I come across, which is if you use fabric softener, you can't dry your clothes or tumble dry your clothes because uh, it will it will remove that's the softening agent. It's not myth, so that's true. Okay, right. That makes so, sense. Yeah, so, so actually, so basically when, you, when you're making this fabric softening product, you, you have like, you have, you have a choice. Like how soft do you want to make this? Because it's essentially lubricating the outside of the clothing. So it's like bonding these like things to it. And but you want you, you still want your your towels to dry your clothes, and I, I've like bought towels before that like I went to dry dry myself off, and it just felt like the water was like, like not sticking to them. I think that's what you're what you're talking about. So we, you you basically have to choose like what's the happy medium. We still want the clothing to have the performance of the clothing or how it was designed, but you also want uh, it to have some softening effect so that people feel like they're getting a softener. So you, it's it's really like sciencing down to like how do we make this soft enough so that it makes people happy but not so soft that their clothes are have like an oleophobic property to them oh man keep making them softer i'll I'll take the softest clothes you can make just wrap me (laughs) up just like a giant blanket of clothes i'd love it um yeah i didn't use fabric software until quite recently really and i've just learned i've been using it very wrong because i usually then tumble dry so public service announcement look at look at the knowledge you gain from listening to this podcast don't tumble dry clothes if you're using fabric software um just before we get into prime talk to me about sense do you scent them? If you do, how do you choose the right scents to use? That's a good question. Um, so we originally launched with two scents, sorry, one scented and one unscented. And then uh, we did wind up launching a third scent, which is uh, Lilac Breeze, which is purple. Um, smells smells very purple. Um, you know, uh, from a scent perspective, it's it's there's a big percentage of people that like fragrance free clothes. And then there are people that are like obsessed with things that smell well. And like, as you've probably seen, like all the bounty unstoppable commercials and there's a whole bunch of different products now that are really focused on scent. Um, we've, we've never really leaned too hard into it. Like we could add something called an encapsulated scent, which would be more potent, but we've always kind of been trying to maintain like a hypoallergenic stance so that the product, like too much scent isn't good for the environment either. So we're trying to keep a happy balance keep people's allergies at bay and um, try to provide mild, gentle scents that um, delight people and, you know, make them want to continue sniffing our packages. <laughs> That's a good sentence. <laughs> I want to reword that one on your next podcast. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, for sure. And it amazes me that these companies such as yourselves are able to create a scent that um, binds to clothing and lasts for at least a few hours and smells great. You can buy a hundred dollar bottle of Parfum and it's, you know, gone within a matter of minutes. Um, so it's wizardry for sure, but I enjoy a scent when I can remember to do it. There's something about it, but there are, uh, like you what's, said, environmental. What's, what's, what's your preferred scent? 
And they always have such ridiculous names, like Autumn Blossom Mornings or like, you know, Elephant's Breath. It, yep, it, yep. <laughs> so I don't know what, what is it, how you meant it, like it smells kind of like a papaya meets, uh, you know, fresh wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a papaya breeze. Like, yeah. you know, the, but the, the funniest thing, man, is trying to name these scents. So like, the reason why it's funny is because everything is friggin' trademarked. It's insane. Like, like, like every possible combination of breeze, spring, like everything, it's just, they're all gone. And, um, like we, we were joking around, like we, with lilac breeze, like one of the, one of the names were like, let's call it pussy willow breeze. And I was like, <laughs> that one, that one <laughs> might get taken out of context, but playing fast and loose there. You might end up in the wrong shops if you do that. Yes. People definitely be sniffing your package if you're doing <laughs> something like that. <laughs> All right. Let's not get bogged down in potential cancellation of e-commerce gold. Let's uh, move swiftly on to uh, Prime Day. Is that a day that you will be focusing on? Is that part of your calendar? Yeah. So honestly, in the past couple of years, we've we've uh, obviously spent more money during Prime Day. We've spent um, more money during like on our D2C side during Prime Day and stuff. But historically, we never participated in the actual discounting because we've always had this belief that... Um, we didn't want to excessively discount our product in order to, um, you know, make sales. And th- I think that's a common, common thing for some people. Um, but this year we're, we're planning on participating. Uh, have they, they haven't actually, have they actually released the date yet? I know that they are speculating. Um, or last I was talking to our PR company, they were speculating on what the date is. I'm not sure if it's actually been announced yet, but we will be participating this year. But I think we're going to be, because I have this great hatred for, for deep discounting and training people to wait for sales. Uh, I think we're going to be going with, uh, Playing with the idea of bundling mm. on Amazon. It's ju- ju- uh, just Google it. July the eleventh and July twelfth, Tuesday and Wednesday, twenty twenty three. Yeah. So, so typically, t- typically we that's generally how we do our our sales, like our, our like our D to C sales are um, either with like bundling or like free gifts. And instead of discounting, we offer um, you know something extra with it. I know that Amazon to participate in Prime you need to be like at least twenty percent off. So. Yeah, our goal is to uh, include some of our uh, newer products mixed with our traditional products at a at a better rate. And you're talking about doing this on your own store or on Amazon? No, no, both, both. So uh, this could be like a massive roll of dice, but uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, this gets us an opportunity to get more listings, to get more real estate when people are searching for our brand, um, and gives us an opportunity to to give a discount, um, but. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like myself included, uh, that will buy products during prime day that I've like kind of considered, but like was waiting for a reason to do it. So, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to introduce new customers to, to multiple new products at the same time. And yeah, see, that's, that's kind of the plan. So you're going to put together some kind of prime day bundle, do some images and put that up as a once off or first introduction product for prime day and discount that total bundle price on exactly. Amazon. Right. Yep. And. Are you going to be building landing pages? Are you going to be uh, putting... Talk, talk to me about the D2C site. What are you going to do for conversion rate optimization, do you think? Yeah. So, um, you know, historically what we do when we, when we do a, uh, uh, one of these sales is obviously we, we whip up a landing page that's, that's, um, that's geared towards whatever the event is. And sometimes our designer or developer will kind of come up with some sort of creative new idea. So... When when those happen, uh, we'll, we actually will split test. So we'll, we'll have an A and a B, and if the sale runs for say five or six days, we'll 
based on the volume of traffic that we send to it, we can generally get a pretty good idea in like a day or so, which, um, which model works better. And then, um, focus all the traffic on that one moving forward. Nice. Okay. And, um, and in terms of your landing pages that you've used previously, what have you found to be the most effective specifically for you guys in terms of elements on the page, um, things that you sort of include on every landing page, social proof, UGC, does that work for you guys? Like just, can you give us a list kind of rundown of your pages and what, what works well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, usually we have some sort of logo near the top for, because obviously a sales event is typically going to perform the best with people that are uh, brand aware already. Um, we usually put some sort of logo tied to what, what the event is. So if it's like Valentine's day or if it's like earth day or if it's whatever prime day, we'd have something up there specific, specifically stating why these deals are available. Um, and then if it's a, if it's less than a couple, like five or six days, sometimes we'll put some kind of timer, um, just denoting when the sale is going to end. I find that if you have more than like five days, people tend to be like, Oh, I can just put this off way till later. So if, if, if the sales, you know, five days might even be pushing it, but three, four days, I like to put a timer on there just to let them know, drive up the, the uh, urgency a little bit. And then, uh, I like to use, um, what I call top down selling. So, um, or another term for it's like price anchoring. So we'll put the most expensive bundles at the top. Um, we also know which bundles generally perform the best. So we usually put those at the top with, uh, uh, usually some sort of like free gift. And, um, so as you go down the page, the offers get less expensive. And we usually see like our AOVs at least double during these periods in comparison to just casual shopping. What's the psychology behind that? Why, where does that come from? The so the financial part, like the, the top down selling, like the price mm, anchoring. Price anchoring at the top. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, my, my throat. Um so price anchoring is just a psychological bias, right? So if you start with something that's expensive, um, and the person looks at it and thinks it's expensive, as the price decreases as they scroll down the page, like, okay, that's reasonable. If you start with something high, everything else seems low as they go down. Um, and then somebody who's more logical. And wants to see like, oh, what's the price per load or like, what's the value? They'll, you know, kind of do some comparisons and they'll realize, okay, well, this actually makes the most sense for me. I know I'm going to do laundry for a year. I might as well just take this larger bundle, kind of like a Costco shopper and, and then not worry about having to buy laundry products for the next year. Oh, and it's pretty cool. I also get this, whatever, this other product, uh, for free to try as a result of making a bigger purchase. Mm, okay. That makes sense. So logo, you change, you style it in the theme of the sale. What do you, what advantages yep. does that bring? Cause that's something that I don't see many people do what why Sorry, would you I do that? Why, why do we we don't stylize the logo we'll have the logo and then we'll have just like the name of the event or like the reason why so like again i can't remember what the psychological principle is but um uh robert caldani uh wrote a book i think it's like 50 ways to yes or something like that he's the same author as persuasion and influence and they did a study where uh if you go the people are waiting in line for uh whatever and you go up and you ask to go in front of them in line if you give them any reason whatsoever, like, can I go in front of you? I, I, I'm late for something. 95% of people comply. If you go up and you say, like, hey, can I go in front of you? Um, I don't want to wait. It, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's just the, re- the fact that there's a reason and, and you're saying it, it immediately makes it difficult for somebody to bust the objection. If you just go up and say, can I go in front of you? People will be like, no, go to the back of the line. But as soon as you say the reason why, it's the same thing with a sale. Like, if you're going to, if you don't say that this is tied to a specific event, they may believe that you know in the world of e-commerce where people are constantly trying to manipulate people into making uh, or persuade them, manipulate them into making a purchase, denoting specifically what it's for, and then that person being able to connect the dots. And, oh, it's Prime Day, or oh, it's Thanksgiving, or oh, it's Black Friday. And they're like, okay, that logic makes sense. Um, I should probably, and I'm interested in this product. I should see what's available. 
And how many units do you try and shift? I liked what you said before about people reasoning with themselves about, oh, God, I'm going to do laundry for the rest of my life. Um, I may as well purchase six months worth of this because I'm not, I'm going to need it. And it's at a discount. So have you worked out what your kind of point of diminishing returns is for how many units you try and get someone to buy in that prime day transaction or really any other sale transaction? Or is it usually just yeah. one unit? Yeah. So like surprisingly, uh, the, like the customer journey, a lot of times it looks like they'll, they'll start with like a 32, uh, or like an eight, a smaller pack, uh, <clears throat> kind of like in a trial environment. And then once they've kind of like decided that this is for them, uh, a lot of times they'll, when we do one of these events, they'll take the 384, which is, you know, if you're a single person, that's a hell of a lot of laundry. If you have a family of four, that's, um, statistically a fam- family of four does about one load of laundry per day. Not like, it might not be every day, but like on Saturday, you might do like three loads and Sunday you might do two. And then, you know, you might do sheets a couple of times during the week or, you know, towels, super soft towels. But, um, on average, and the reason it was 384, not 365, which would have been one a day was, um, initially when we first started, we didn't have a 384 box. We were just giving 12, 32 packs. So that, that's how it started. Kind of st- where we still are. It's probably a little bit too much, but, um, it works. Half a decade ago, when I was messing around with Magento, we were quoting apps at 60,000 per platform, iOS, Android, designed and developed, starting from. And companies were buying them because it was such an incredible return on investment. Now, in today's world, in the world of Shopify, Tapcart exists. And it floored me when I heard that they were going to offer you the ability to have an app in under four weeks. Not only that, that they design it for you, at least the first version and show it to you with a business case without you having to spend a penny. Seriously, you can go and check it out. Push notifications, retention, loyalty, it's all at your doorstep. And how good are you with your data then? So if you know someone's gone in and purchased that 384 pack, are you excluding them from campaigns like this, like Prime Day in things like email marketing, SMS marketing? Uh, To be honest, I'm not the one running the day-to-day on email now, but we do talk a lot about segmenting and... um, Trying to not hit those people with, with too, too many emails. The one, the one thing that is cool about our product though, and why it's still valuable to offer these sales to people who have bought 384s is I don't know if there's been another product in laundry detergent in like the last, I don't know how many years that people are giving it to their family members for Christmas. Like there's like, there, it's insane how many like Facebook messages we get. Oh, my, my mom bought me this and put it in my stocking or, or, but there's like a huge gifting culture tied to like, like laundry detergent. And it's, it's weirdly novel. Like there's like, this big Italian dude that uh, uh, teaches at the, the school that I, the high school that I went to, and there's somebody that works with us whose son goes there, and he like sends us a picture of this big Italian dude. Even I would never, I can never in my wildest dreams imagine seeing this big dude holding like a box of laundry, but he's like holding a box of laundry and like pointing at it and smiling. I'm like it's, it's. I think the fact that it's so novel has transcended the I hate laundry so much that I don't like. You know, it's just it's it's just a crazy it was a crazy phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. I think Moyes just on email came up with quite a good one that I saw on Twitter, which was the plus one concept where they were emailing out and their limited time offer, they sent their final email, offer closes in two hours or whatever, go and make your purchase. And then anyone that didn't open that email the next day, they'd send a final extension email, um, knowing that, you know, with a, with a discount code rather than having the timer on the website to just try and juice that last little bit, which I thought was quite clever, which was interesting. Yeah. I think that, I think that, that, uh, the only problem I think with that is that if you do that too much, then like, I know D 2 C, the world of D 2 C turns over so quickly, but I think you, you just got to be careful that you don't get no, you don't become known for being the brand that always has that. Oh, we're still extending it one more time, you know. I think especially, 
when you've got a product that is so frequently bought, has a high purchase frequency, it's less. If you're selling sofas, it makes more sense. But um, totally, yeah. So, is there anything you're doing or strategically planning to juice Amazon? Will you be allocating more spend to keywords on Amazon? Will you be creating a shop page on Amazon to try and drive traffic there to to do some education? Like, or are you just going to free roll it? Yeah. So we are, we have a shop page and everything on Amazon. Um, again, I, I mean. Our company's pretty big now. We have like, there's probably 120 people. Um, so I, I don't know the, the exact specifics around like every strategy or every tactic that's going to be implemented, but we definitely are starting to put more resources to things like, um, uh, I mean, it seems like a lot of people are doing this, but putting some resources towards like Google search, like direct Amazon, um, you know, some advertorials that, um, give an off, like offer, uh, the consumer an opportunity to either pick from Amazon or, um, or direct from uh, D2C. And then you're also, I mean, we're not doing this yet, but like the pay, pay with Amazon uh, team is introducing some pretty interesting things. I don't 100% understand how it works yet. Um, but I think that has some interesting future in the, uh, in the D2C space where you can potentially leverage people that previously wouldn't buy from D2C with the buy with Prime. But we're not there yet. We're not, we're not, we're not touching it. It's still kind of like on the radar, but not enough to jump in, you know? Mm. Do you use FBA for fulfilled by Amazon, or do we you? Do. You do. Okay. Yeah. Can you? What, what? How have you found? I mean, how have you found that against using other three PLs? If you ever did, or did you go straight into FBA? So we, we I mean, we use three PLs for D 2 C, and then we use FBA for right. specifically for Amazon. Um, we there was a period. What happened? There was a period where we had to ship FBM briefly. I can't remember what happened, but I mean, FBM is there's a lot of there's a lot of rules you have to abide by to make sure that you, um, you know, you don't you don't screw up, um, and stay in Amazon's good books. But the as as a whole, like I mean, the biggest challenge I think with FBA, there was a couple of issues during COVID where they were limiting stock. Um, I think I, again, I'm not in the day to day of the Amazon side, but um, I think that there still isn't quite the total allowable inventory that there used to be. So there's basically this cat and mouse game of like trying to make like being on top of inventory all the time. Um, and then, you know, in terms of like, uh, 3PLs, we have like one, two, I think we're in like, like, uh, uh, probably four 3PLs. Um, one of my, one of the founders of True Earth, uh, has a 3PL here in Vancouver. Um, so it operates kind of like Western Canada, Northwestern US. And then we have a True Earth has its own 3PL in Mississauga, Ontario. And then we're using, um, a couple different American 3PLs, um, in the US to make sure that we get like delivery within a couple of days. International. International, we have uh, we have basically a company um, shipping all of our product in in UK and handling the Amazon FBA there for for Amazon. Um, Australia, there's uh, local distribution, and we're we're like all over Europe. I just I don't know the exact um, the exact breakdown, but I think we're pretty much only FBA in North America, UK, and Australia. Although I don't think I don't think Amazon's huge in Australia. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I heard that too. It's um, it's not as dominant as it is everywhere else. Just tell me a bit about your suppliers then. Have they been able to scale with you as you've grown this? Have you changed suppliers? Have you taken on the supply side yourself? Like, what what's the story there? Has it just been pretty smooth sailing? Yeah. So the the uh the laundry our laundry detergent manufacturer it's the it's been the same ones the entire time they're in Canada. And then our our dishwasher stuff we actually manufacture it ourselves. Um. You know, that's actually, it was crazy when we launched the dish. We got a really large retail order and it was, it was like this race against the clock to manufacture enough. And like, 
manufacturing is a, is a completely different beast than, than, uh, you know, running a D2C or Amazon business. Like uh, it's actually it's, work, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'm the one that did it, but like, you know, you start with like, okay, how many of these can we do? How many batches can we create in a day? And like, okay, well, we need this many to fill this order. So we need to figure out a way to produce this much more. And then like building the whole facility to handle it. And like, like it's, it was, it was crazy. Like, um, our team did like an amazing job handling it, but just, just a quick uh, question on that. Where did you get the cash to do it? Um, so we, we did raise, we did a raise last year. Um, and we had, we had partially cash flowed the, um, the cost to do it originally. Um, and then we used some of the uh, VC funds, I think, to, to push it over the edge. But yeah, like, honestly, like producing your own product is, is not cheap. Like, quite frankly, like if I was to go and like start from scratch, like, and not have any of this existing infrastructure to, to play this game, I'd be probably looking for somebody who had a product I could white label or like, you know, customize. Cause, like, I mean, it worked out. It was, it's a great product. It just took a ton of resources and, uh, it was, I think it was stressful for a lot of people involved, but how, here, how, how not, fine to the line did it get with, with cash flow and things? I know obviously you got VC money, so that takes some of the burden off, but was it, was it touch and go for, for, or did it get that bad or was it, uh, cause I've, I've heard that most people who do this get pretty close to the wire with, <laughs> with doing it. You know, if you can get through it, then great. But was it, you know, without the VC money, I imagine impossible, but with the VC money, was it just like manageable, manageable, but stressful? Or was it, you know, really quite tough? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it would have been really, really tough if we didn't have the VC money. Like, we were doing it, and I think it was, like, again, I don't, I don't have the financials in front of me, and I'm the CMO, I'm not the, the CEO, so I don't have every. And I'm, I'm one of the founders, but like, you know, I, I just, uh, it's not really 100% my lane. But you know, I don't know. The it probably would have been challenging to finish it without the VC money, and then. Honestly, at the, like the ramp up period, like there's, you have all these delays trying to get the product out the door. And then somebody places a big order on the wholesale side. And it's like, we want to sell this D to C, but we can't launch it because we, we don't want to steal inventory from uh, a huge retail purchase. So it was like trying to get the, the, the big challenge was really like, how do we get the manufacturing up, up like high enough over the rate that we need to sustain to fill that order so that we can also simultaneously start selling direct. And uh, it was, it was a, it was a fun challenge. Okay, cool. Well, listen, I would love to know a little bit about packaging design. Um, I don't know if you were part of that team. How 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 much has it changed, and what were the catalysts for change to get it to where it is today? Yeah, good question. So originally, like our, <laughs> it's funny. Like again, we, we were not CPG guys. Um, we were not like we. It, it just we had one of our magazine. Uh, graphic artists help us like come up with our logo and like our design. And we put the, the benefits that we thought were going to be the most valuable. We looked at some other products and tried to like, you know, make sure that we, uh, checked all the boxes. And I mean, I think the biggest lesson is here is like, if you're going to, if you're going to start one of a, a new business, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff that you don't know how to do, but you're going to have to do it anyways. And like you can sit around and like dream, read books and take courses and, and, and try to make sure that everything's perfect. But at the end of the day, it, nothing's going to move the ball faster than taking action. And. At the end of the day, there was you know, a few of us. We decided what we thought it was going to look like. Was it the best packaging? Probably not. We've since moved to like again. I didn't know all this stuff four and a half years ago. We've now you know we understand how that how we can validate uh, packaging using tools like IntelliV. I don't know what uh, what other ones that are out there where you can um, have panels of people tell you which package they're the most drawn to, and you can do test after test after test after test in comparison to other brands that are similar until you consistently beat the other packages. And I mean, that's a huge way to get a leg up on Amazon, but it's also a huge way to get a leg up once you're in retail. And you know, at the end of the day, probably even D2C. But when we started, I had no idea that any of that existed. And we didn't even know like 
we didn't even know specifically which benefits were the most important to our consumers because we were new. You know, we could do as much research as we could find online. And other than that, it was like, let's roll the dice and see what happens. And here we are, you know, four years later. Um, and we're now trying to make sure that we follow proper best practices. <laughs> yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, packaging is so difficult to get right. Retail, wholesale, DTC, Amazon, just there's so many conflicting. Do, do you ever break your packaging apart and um, optimize it specifically per channel? I know Unilever were talking before about how they optimize their mobile packaging and digital imagery. They increase the size of certain elements on the packaging so it's easily readable on a device for Amazon on mobile. It's like There's like a whole industry around um, you know the nuances of packaging design, but do you use one consistent package across all channels or do you break it? Uh, so, break it yeah, good, 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 good question. So like in Europe, like there's regulatory issues in a lot of different places. So um, we are moving towards like the US having US packaging that just has English on it. In Canada, we have like English and French. Um, in the UK, I think we might have French on it too, um, but that's just actually... I don't remember, but the UK has different packaging too. Um, like, I think, I think, like, from a from a different channel, like like retail versus Amazon versus D 2 C. We actually did in the beginning because um, our packaging. This one's been opened. Um, beginning. So in the beginning, uh, this is what the package looks like now. Um, but in the beginning, this was uh, like flat all the way down, and there was a piece of paper that attached here that. Could tear off. People can't see it on the back. It basically had uh, a protective piece of paper that kind of stuck down to the bottom, and we would put the the address on the on that piece of the paper, and it doubled as a mailer, so it was extra environmentally friendly. Um, but that looks it looks like crap when it's on a grocery store. So we had this more streamlined, easy to tear option for retail, and the uh, human resources to manage like two or three SKUs. Plot, like like we have so many SKUs as is, but like to manage like it just added like a like a SKU proliferation nightmare. So we we we're trying to simplify it now and just to you know you make one packaging change and you have to change a million different things. And actually in line with that, we're we we've got like some automation that packages the the products and stuff. I think we're actually looking to have the uh, the package put the load count on when it's when it's folding it so that like. We can have one standardized package and like not have to juggle so many different versions of everything, you know? Yeah. Sounds like a headache. <laughs> but yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. This is what you have. This is what you pay people to do, right? Um, one thing that just popped into my head while you were talking, you showed me the packages. I wonder, I'd love to know how much waste there is with liquid detergents because if you're anything like me, you fill it to the brim every time. Because anything else would be ridiculous. You know, if you actually did, it's like cereal. No one is eating the prescribed 30 grams of cereal and no one is filling no. up their washing machines to the prescribed amount. I am filling that thing the whole way. I think probably use like five or six loads out of one of those big bottles. The same with conditioners. So I like the fact that you just launch a tab into the abyss and that's all you need to do. There's no kind of measuring involved from a cost perspective, but also from an environment perspective. I guess that helps. Let's, um, let's finish with a quick rapid fire, if that's okay with you. Um, let's go. Biggest mistake made to date in the business? Um, in True Earth or like in any business? Up to you. Uh, biggest mistake. Um, oh man. Uh, I would probably say the skew proliferation. That's not that big of a mistake, but it's annoying. Right, right. Uh, worst advertising investment, True Earth? Worst advertising. Um, 
I'm trying to think of like a bad campaign that we threw out there. I, I, I put some money in towards getting a documentary made and uh, the guy, it's been a couple of years and it hasn't seemed like it's made any progress. So that was a pretty big waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, just, pay, just paid him and nothing happened or? Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I, that's not how uh, usually this works. <laughs> All right. On on the flip side of that, then the best the best advertising dollars that you spent. So we actually we they're, they're not online right now because we had some issues with uh, uh, some other brands that are very large that didn't didn't like them. But we had about a billion views on some of our, our funny creative that we had produced. Um, like we had this video called I'm sure if you Google it, you could probably find it on somebody else's channel. But like things you should never mix with water it was huge. It had like hundreds. Like it probably had like 10 million views in like a day. It was like out oh, of control. Shit. I don't know if you can still find it. There was another one, Real Men Do Laundry. And there was another one uh, that did really well. Uh, we called it Game Show. And it was like this uh, Price is Right type Price is right type setup. It was really awesome. Future Focus, closing out 2023. Where will the company be if it's achieved everything it wants to achieve? Uh, I think it would be nice if we were in majority of the large retailers in the United States. We're, we're in a considerable number of them, but not quite, not quite all of them. Final I just thing. think of another bad, I just thought of another bad mistake that we oh, made. Oh gosh, please. <laughs> okay. So this one, this one's like a little bit funnier. So uh, we did those two first funny videos and I was like, we need to do something a little bit different. I want to get like Purple Mattress did one, did a, an ad that had like a, um, a Sasquatch or like something like that in it. So I'm like, I want to do a Sasquatch video. Like we got to do a Sasquatch video. <laughs> And, and so I spent like $3,000 making this Hollywood Sasquatch mask that can only be used two times because the way the mouth and everything connected. And the Sasquatch looked like it, like, like a dying coyote. Like it just looked unhealthy. And like he was eating like beans off the table and it looked like poop. Oh, and like, man. man, we were getting like hate emails from people saying like, I will volunteer to make you new ads. Like, I can't believe you put a dying Sasquatch and like try to convince us to buy like this multi-service cleaner. And like it was just, I'm pretty sure that ad's still on YouTube, but like it was just a disaster, and it was not. Oh. It was not cheap. Like it, it was. It cost us. It was like a, a high production video. But it was, did he, did he use the Harmon Brothers? Animals. Pardon me. Did you no. use the Harmon Brothers? Um, I didn't, but I used somebody that I met through the Harmon Brothers to do it, and yeah. I was actually I've been on Harmon Brothers podcast um, right. as a result of some of the content that we've created. But no. Uh, but the, the 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 tip is to never use ugly creatures to sell your product <laughs> because nobody wants to see a dying Sasquatch eat poop. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. Final thing, anything you can drop, give away to the audience that maybe is a bit of secret sauce for yourself, something you might have learned over the years, something you found that really works. A little tip, no matter how big or small, could be to do with anything that uh, that you can drop for everyone listening, if they make it this far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I got a video <clears throat> that, I, that I'm going to be releasing soon, but uh, I'll, I'll give like the, the you, don't, you don't see a lot of people talking about risk, reverse, risk reversal outside of monetary risk reversal. So there's there's five types of risk that you can um, you can reverse in order to limit people's perception of the risk that they face when buying a product. And there's an acronym for it. It's timer. T is for time. How how much time is it going to take me to buy and use this product? Um, like, it, is it going to take two weeks for it to arrive? Is it going to take three weeks to arrive? This is a gift for somebody. How can I bust that? How can I reverse that risk? And like, you know, one day delivery in the U.S. or whatever. Also. Um, Time in terms of like fitness products, if it, you look at like something like the Abflex from the early '90s, it was like the the time it takes you to get the result, like abs in three minutes a day. So like time is a is a big risk. Identity is a risk. When somebody buys your product, is it in line with who they believe that they are or who they want to be? If mm-hmm. I'm an environmentally focused person and 
you're trying to pitch me on this amazing new plastic product. Even if I love the idea of it, I'm going to have dissonance tied to making that purchase because my I identify as somebody that doesn't use plastic. So how do you bust identity-related um, uh, uh, risk? M, monetary. That's the one everybody uses. Don't like the product, we'll give you your money back. Um, and that's one of the bigger ones and that's why everybody uses it. E is for energy. How much energy am I going to consume in order to, to get the benefits of this product? So if True Earth was a laundry detergent and it wasn't in a strip form and it was like this magical clay that I had to spend, um, you know, every time I went to go do my laundry, uh, roll it up, put it in a package and like put it in the, into the, into the washing machine. That's energy. It's kind of like people who roll their own cigarettes. Most people won't buy it because it's, I don't smoke, but like when you're rolling cigarettes, that takes energy to do it. So how do you like, how do you eliminate the energy risk? And then the last one's reputation. And this is like the three big ones are time, money, reputation. Reputation is how you think people are going to perceive you if you do this thing. So I'll use the environmentally friendly thing again. Like if I am eco-friendly and I'm secretly obsessed with these like single use plastic spoons, I'm not going to have people over to my house and break these out or take them out to lunch at a picnic because my rep, how I think people are going to perceive me is, uh, is important to me tied to this particular thing. So that's another type of risk that you can bust. So people don't usually think about all the different risks associated with making a purchase when, when they're trying to sell somebody something. And it's low hanging fruit to kind of like, um, interlay this into your offer ways that people are not going to like basically busting these objections so that people feel 100% confident that the product is right across all five of these potential risks. Surely washing out the objections, destaining the objections would be more for the laundry yeah, team. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, Where can people find more content right. like that? Um, yeah, you can find me on YouTube if you just search my name, Ryan McKenzie. Um, I'm on Twitter, R-Y-E-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E, uh, Z-I-E, depending on where you are. Um, yeah, or you can go to, uh, get some laundry detergent at tru.earth. There's no .com when there's no E on true. That's pretty much it. Go check them out.